Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. So if I were to ask you right now, what label defines you as a member of society, what would you say? Would you call yourself a progressive or a conservative? Would you call yourself a gun owner or a gun control advocate? Or would it be your race that defines you or maybe your religion? Maybe you talk about the state or the city that you live in. And what about the word American? Our next guest says that's a label that used to unite us, one that bound society together so that it wouldn't fall apart. But we're losing a big part of that identity, at least in part because many of those who think of themselves as American now use that term to divide themselves from others. So what does that mean for us as a nation or as a society? That's where we want to begin the conversation today. And we want to have an extended conversation all day here about uh, the idea of otherization, the idea of using language to divide us using language as a way of separating us from other people, whether that be people of other races, people of other religions, people of other national origin. We're hearing a lot about that these days from a number of different corners, and it's unfolding in a number of different narratives. And we want to hear from you as well. What do you feel about where you are and who you are as an American? Do you feel a sense of companionship and kinship with all Americans, regardless of their political beliefs? Are you able to put aside your political feelings and have conversations with people you disagree with as fellow Americans? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk about this idea of otherization and post-truth in American dialogue is Kara Cunningham. She is associate professor of law at the University of Detroit Mercy Law School and author of an essay in the Washburn Law Journal that's titled Outing Otherization, a Means to Enable Cooperation in a Post-Truth Era. Kara Cunningham, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, you write that otherization and post-truth are two modern concepts that go together, that they are kind of symbiotic. Uh, uh, What do you mean by that? And why do these two phenomena perpetuate each other? Right. And so in 2016, in the presidential election, you see these words come to the forefront, this idea of otherization Uh, creating and actually weaponizing our natural instincts to differentiate. They're weaponized to the point where it's us versus them. And when otherization occurs, it produces, whether it's otherization is in terms of social threat or physical threat, it's producing in us uh, a response, a physiological response where we're either going to fight or we're going to flee. Mm. And when you look at that response, it actually Um, it tracks what we're describing as post-truth behavior, where objective facts become less relevant, we're triggered, we're being ruled by our emotions. And the research shows us that when you're in that frame of mind, not only is your body prepared to fight in terms of where oxygen goes, where the blood flow goes, um, but it's really in this context most important to think about the impact on the brain. Logical problem solving is reduced And instead, you're hypersensitive to threats. 
So what I'm suggesting in this article is that otherization occurs, it triggers this effect within us, and that makes it difficult to cooperate. And what's really important to think about this cycle is it's self-perpetuating. So when you go through the cycle the first time and cooperation is inhibited, you also then are more susceptible to future threats. And then the lack of cooperation makes you more frustrated. So we're in this cycle of otherization, producing post-truth effects where emotion reigns rather than logic, and then that inhibits our ability to cooperate. Yeah. Uh, and, and these are pretty heady concepts you're dealing with here. Uh, and, and in some ways, uh, they're very academic uh, concepts in the way that, that you approach them. But uh, in, um, in the piece, uh, um, David Rock of the Neuroleadership Institute says something that I think is, makes it really accessible. Uh, he says, you literally don't even process what they are saying. He's talking about when you hear from somebody who you disagree with or think of as other than yourself. And he says, you don't even think about what they say, never mind really trust what they say. I think there's a really uh, facile way to kind of understand this, this concept. Absolutely. And when you think about when I'm using the term otherization, what I'm really saying is I'm saying it's the weaponization of our basic instincts. And so in David Rock's article, it's fascinating when you think about how the human body operates. You and I are sitting here today. Our gene pool exists today because our ancestors in the age of the saber-toothed tiger, they were really good at differentiating between threats. They could recognize a friend. They could recognize a foe. They also were really good at having that physiological response saying, oh, my gosh, I need to either run for my life or I need to stand my ground and fight. So thousands of years ago, our ancestors were good at that. We now have this natural instinct to do that. So in one-fifth of a second, we're going to know whether something is a threat or not, and we're going to have this in, in instinctive response. And so what politicians are doing today is they're weaponizing our natural instincts. When we say we have a natural instinct between friend or foe, that's not hierarchical, right? It's not based on um, thinking one person is better than the other. It's just based on threat perception, but it's being weaponized as a tool against us to get us to vote, to get us to contribute, to get us to attend rallies. And so the more that we're aware of that process, we can inoculate ourselves against it. We can, it's like a vaccine. Knowledge is a vaccine to protect ourselves. But then that also then creates space for us to cooperate and to solve legal problems. Yeah. So you, you've been thinking a lot about this this week uh, and what it all means in the context of these recent mass shootings and the scourge of domestic terrorism in America and the lack of a policy response to this issue that, uh, that we are almost paralyzed, I think, in the way that we think about solutions because we believe that uh, the people who don't agree with us can't be convinced uh, and can't be persuaded uh, to, 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 to sort of come together with us to, to fix things. That's a, a newish phenomenon in, in uh, modern political dialogue. Is that right? I think that's right. And I would go even one step further that sometimes the people on the other side are cast as evil. Uh, wrongdoers, the wrongheadedness that you just can't talk to them. And so it's not worth having a conversation. But the data shows that identity politic PACs took over in 2012, in the 2012 election. So where you had corporate PACs, now you have identity PACs that have taken over. And they tend to be single issue PACs that are really driving it. And they're not looking at the bigger picture. They're looking at that one narrow slice. Uh, I think, too, when you start to look at it versus us versus them, you're really letting the other side off the hook. So what we know through the research 
in both the neuroscience research, but then also just in terms of social movements. So if you look at it in the gun context, you've got parents trying to keep their kids safe at school, and you have the NRA on the other side. And so we demonize the NRA, the NRA demonizes us, and we're letting each other off the hook. Hmm. Uh, If you say, I disagree with you, and let's sit down and talk about what are common sense solutions, that's the space where you can cooperate and come up with problem solving. But if we're just pointing the finger uh, and demonizing the other side, we're really letting them off the hook. We're giving them a pass to do something and to take responsibility. My guest is Kara Cunningham. She is Associate Professor of Law at the University of Detroit Mercy Law School and author of an essay in the Washburn Law Journal titled Outing Otherization, a Means to Enable Cooperation in a Post-Truth Era. We're talking this hour about words and their power to divide, their power to make us feel either part of something or a part from something, uh, a dynamic that really is defining the political and cultural dialogue that's happening in the country right now. If you want to give us a call and join the conversation, tell us, do you feel a sense of companionship and kinship with the idea of Americans and Americanism? Uh, Are you able to put your political feelings aside and have conversations with people you disagree with as fellow Americans? And does that word American have a deeper meaning to your identity than other things? Or are the disagreements you have with others so strong that we can't have uh, a productive dialogue and that that word American for you uh, makes you feel apart from everything else uh, in this country? As always, uh, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Good, how are you? Good. Um, So a couple of quick points on that. Um, One, I think our major issue that we deal with today, why we see so many problems, is the anonymity of the Internet. We, We get to pretend we're someone different, even though it's, we use the same name, same profile, everything like that, and, you know, whether it's your Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we pretend that we're someone we're not. Hmm. And by doing so, it means that we can say outrageous things. We can say things you wouldn't normally say to other people in public. Um, and when I do have conversations with some people I've argued with online, we, we never have the, the vitriol that you, you might see through just um, like a comment thread or anything like that. Hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of it is spectacle. A lot of it is people trying to uh, put themselves in a position of, you know, dare I say, sort of dominance through social media. Because that's kind of how a lot of our society is today. And another thing we don't ever talk about, too, is where we see a lot of division with uh, between groups within our country, we also never talk about the division within groups within our country. And I've noticed, especially the last few years, dissent is not allowed mm-hmm. at all in certain groups. If you're, you take a look at the political parties, if you're a Democrat, you cannot speak out against um, major Democrats. If you're a Republican, you cannot speak out against the president or other major Republicans if you disagree with them. Yeah, there's this kind of you will now be seen as the ultimate. Yeah, there's this kind of closing of ranks. I think that uh, 
that uh, is part of it too. Mike, the uh, great comments, uh, and I, I appreciate the call. Kara uh, uh, Cunningham, I, I, I wonder what you make of the effect of social media on the, the dynamics that you're, that you're looking at here. Right, and I think your caller is bringing in two important points that are related. Um, what we know about threats, uh, whether it's a social threat or a physical threat, is your brain's responding to them in the same way. So you can get into that triggered state of mind if somebody's pointing a gun in your face, or you can get in that state of mind if there's a social threat, meaning a threat to your status, uh, a threat to your sense of, of autonomy or certainty. Like when you go down the street, when you see a traffic signal, you expect people go through the green and they stop at the red. But when you get onto social media, what your caller's talking about, this lack of regulation, people say things that you wouldn't say to someone's face. And that's it's really easy in that context to trigger people. But I think, too, because we're in a culture where we're not used to discourse, we don't have debates, we don't have conversations to the extent we need to, um, we're less attuned to it. We're less practiced in terms of... Um, we're not forced to sit down and have a conversation. We can let each other off the hook by just pointing the finger and then the conversation goes away. So what you saw last week on the debates, on the debate stage in Detroit, where the candidates themselves, um, if you don't agree with me, then you're picking up a Republican talking point. It's mm -hmm. like, no, maybe I'm not. Maybe I just want to have an honest conversation with you about a topic. But we're, we're not having those conversations today. Your caller is exactly right. Mm. Uh, again, Mike, uh, really appreciate the call. And the thoughts. Uh, let's go to Jeff in Pontiac. Jeff, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Yeah, I just wanted to make a quick comment about the irony of having somebody on your show talking about language and about how language can be interpreted a lot of different ways. <laughs> and at the same time, in the first few sentences, comes out and mentions the NRA and common sense gun laws. <laughs> There's no such thing as common sense laws at all. You're completely bypassing the conversation as soon as you say, oh, this is a common sense law, because you're saying your side is the only side that makes sense. You're not allowing for conversation saying, oh, well, we just agree on this. You, we don't. You do. It's two completely different things. If you want to talk about how language has different effects <laughs> beyond what you're saying or can be interpreted ways or can be uh, expressing hatred or, or evil ideologies, you cannot use words like common sense because huh. there is no such thing. That's really interesting, Jeff. I I, I appreciate that perspective. I'm not sure I think of it that way, uh, but but I, I hear you saying that you hear that phrase as uh, as being divisive uh, or as as a form of othering, and and or maybe it could be that you're saying um, you know that kind of phrase is an attempt to to win the argument before you've even begun it. In other words. To say, well, this is common sense. We don't need to discuss uh, its merits. Uh, Kara Cunningham, how do you how do you respond to what he's saying? Yeah, I think I think the caller's making our point about how uh, important words are and choice, choices choices uh, that we make. And so, the comment that I'm making, so obviously something that I said, maybe even the use of the word common sense, um, has triggered something in in this caller. Um, if you can step back for a second and take yourself out of the emotional response that you had and say, what point was I really trying to make? What I was saying is, is that um, when you have people on either side of a debate, you have to come to the table and you have to say, what are you really saying? What do you mean? And if all you do is point the finger in anger or an emotion, uh, you're letting each other off the hook. 
And so when I say common sense regulation, you can talk about guns, you can talk about safe water, you can talk about sanctuary city policy, whatever national crisis we're talking about at the moment, we have to get people together on both sides and have an honest conversation about it. And I think as a result of that process, you can come up with a common sense solution where both sides feel maybe that we haven't gone far enough, but we've moved the ball forward a step. Yeah. And that's what true collaboration means. And that's the point that I was making when bringing up moms in the NRA, people who are on two completely different sides of the spectrum, they need to talk. Uh, Jeff, I really appreciate uh, that call and, and your thinking there. Uh, let's go to Mike in Detroit. Mike, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure. Go ahead. Um, so I recently had a, a personal experience where um, the term American was used to other me um, at work. I work as a first responder. So my days are usually filled with a lot of microaggressions. I'm a Hispanic man. And um, just kind of using that to police my actions and thoughts, like the, the specific example is, you know, I had done something. He said, well, you're not a real American because Americans don't view it as a way of just kind of othering me. Hmm. And this particular individual had a very small worldview where if you don't conform to his right-wing ideology, if you're not toe, toe in line to what he believes, you're not an American. Hmm. And that actually worked because I did feel I do have trouble with my identity as an American sometimes because I come from a family of immigrants and I feel American. I was raised here. But to have other people kind of make me an outside group, it, it does affect my actions. Sure, sure. Mike, I, I really appreciate uh, you sharing those thoughts with us. Um, Kara, you have some recommendations about getting beyond these problems. Before, before we let you go, I, w- I want you to talk about how we fix some of the things that Mike in particular uh, is, is talking about here. Right. I think one important thing to keep in mind is just to listen. And so when you hear that caller's voice, he's a first responder. He's on the line. He's, he's helping people in every, everyday situations when they really are suffering. Uh, he's an American, and he's standing up, and he's doing his job. And again, going back to your point about the power of words, uh, one thing when you think about everything that's happening in our country today, uh, on a daily basis, we're assaulted. We are assaulted in sense, our sense of security, our sense of power, our sense of autonomy. What do you do? Uh, our sense of fairness, of right and wrong, of, of exchanges between people. All of these things um, affect us. And so what I'm suggesting in this essay is we're not as powerless as we might feel sometimes. First of all, if you recognize social threats, if you recognize threats to your autonomy or to your sense of fairness, your sense of, of certainty, Think for a second about what your social threats are and are they being addressed? Because they're, they're flip sides of the same coin, right? The same social needs that you have when they're threatened, you have that flight or flight response. But if those needs are met, then you have a positive response. So the first thing is to figure out what are your social triggers and try and inoculate yourself against them. Also though, I think that there's this perverse incentive in politics today to otherize. We need money, we need contributions, we need your time, we need your treasure. And so if you can get your base upset, they're not looking at you in terms of what are you doing to solve the problem. People are just coming to you to give money or time. 
um, because they're upset and they've been triggered. So the second thing to do is to support candidates who are talking about the issues. Recognize when candidates are trying to trigger you and don't reward them with your time or treasure. And so it's all about being aware, um, being aware of the language that you use, being aware of your own needs, trying to meet those needs, and then not rewarding politicians who are trying to trigger you. Hmm. Okay. Kara Cunningham, uh, Associate Professor of Law at U of D Mercy. Thanks very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This I was appreciate great. It. All right. Up next, we are going to talk about the President of the United States and the ways in which he is using language to manipulate people into getting the things that he wants. Sheikha Dalmia of the Reason Foundation will join us with a really inter- interesting perspective on some of the things he has said about the recent violence. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 